0: Uh, Genesis chapter 4 this morning, please. Genesis chapter 4, and just a reminder that we do have Children's Church for our elementary age students that meets downstairs in the youth Sunday school room if you'd like to have your children down there. One of our couple's works down there. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Let's go ahead and stand, please, and we're going to read the first 16 verses of Genesis chapter 4. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Cain talked with Abel his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy faith shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And we will stop there and let's pray. Father, I pray your blessing upon the preaching of your word this morning that first of all, I would be faithful to what you have said and to what you mean in what you say. And then that we would hear your word properly and faithfully and respond to it correctly for you are God and you are superior to us in every possible way may our response be right we ask in Jesus name amen and you may of course be seated Well, as our song leader already mentioned this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject matter of giving. I try to do this periodically because as your shepherd, it is my responsibility to deal with all the subject matters that God has for us. And while this is, to many of us, a sensitive issue, it is nevertheless a subject that God himself does not shy away from. It is not my primary goal, and I suppose, well, never mind, not even need to say, it is not my primary goal to bolster the church offerings. but it does help us to be reminded and instructed why we do the things we do and to understand God's kind assurances about our work. We know that our labor is not in vain, but it never hurts to be reminded that our labor is not in vain. And so with that, let's turn our attention to the subject matter this morning. And I started in the book of Genesis in chapter number 4. Because while there's much going on in Genesis chapter 4, it is essential to understand that from the very beginning of humanity, from the very beginning, all relationships with God involve human beings giving him something of material substance and value from the very beginning. It is not uncommon when the subject of giving turns up for people to immediately jump into the middle of the law of Moses and to immediately want to begin a debate about whether tithing having been under the law is mandated under the New Testament. that is really coming into the middle of a conversation folks. It really is coming into the middle of a conversation. From the very beginning of humanity men have been offering material substance to God. A God who is invisible. A God who could not possibly use and I mean that he could not possibly use The gifts that are given to him in the way that we would use them. He does not need money. He does not need food. He does not need a house or a car. There is nothing for him to buy, there is no reason for him to save. And yet from the very beginning men have been approaching him with gifts that are valuable to them and are also valuable to him. And so Adam and Eve begin to have a family and the first story that we're told of course is the story of two brothers who are related physically but not related spiritually. Abel is a true believer Cain is a true unbeliever. And yet both men come and bring an offering to God. It is obvious that they have had some instruction about this. It is obvious from the details that are provided in the story about what they brought And it's also, folks, a reality that it is just unlikely that it was their idea first. God taught them about bringing him offerings, and they did. Abel brings the firstling and the fat. Both of those things will be incorporated into the law of Moses. Abel brings the firstling And he brings the fat. Cain will bring an offering from the ground, and there will be a place for that in the law of Moses. But we're a long way from the law of Moses. And let's, folks, just for the sake of simplicity, let's remember that our Bible deals with us from several different perspectives. For instance, there is a lengthy period of time from the Garden of Eden all the way up to Moses in which there is no law that regulates or governs the way people live. And then there is the period of the law from Moses to John the Baptist. And the Gospels tell us that the law was unto John. So between Moses and John the Baptist, the law was the governing feature of the people of God. Prior to that, from Noah up until whoever was just before Moses, there was no body of law like the law of Moses that regulated people's conduct. They had been instructed what to do. We'll talk about that. They did similar things, but there's no law that governs it. And then, of course, there's the period of time that we live in, the period after the law, from Jesus until this very moment. In each of those major periods of time, the Bible records for us people who brought offerings to the Lord, who brought material substance and offered it to God in Worship. Cain and Abel did it. We just read that. Noah did it. Genesis 8 20 through 22. Abraham did it. We read it in Sunday school this morning that he paid tithes to Melchizedek, something that was worthy of note centuries later. Of course, we are very conscious of the fact that it was done and regulated under the law of Moses. Leviticus 27:30 All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And then, of course, after the law, we see giving practiced, we see giving taught, we see giving instructed. Offerings are taken for others in the book of Acts. They're taken for other saints in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Giving to the church is taught in 1 Corinthians 9. So that God is the recipient of gifts. Tangible, valuable items. Items at all periods of time, at all different ways, folks, because these three things that we're talking about, before the law and under the law and after the law, are all time periods in which people related to God. There were, no matter where we are, there is instruction given and regulations given about what is acceptable to God to do, to not do, and included in that was the giving of, of material gifts. So, first of all, human beings have from the beginning of time always had as part of their relationship with God the offering of material goods. It never goes away. It never goes away. Secondly, in whatever period of time we are considering prior to the law, under the law, or after the law, God has always wielded the ultimate authority over those gifts. In other words, folks, we don't want to make this mistake. We don't want to think that prior to the law, God had nothing to say and cared little, and then under the law of Moses, he had a lot to say and cared a lot, and now that we're no longer under the law, he no longer cares and he has nothing to say. That is just simply not true. It is obvious that God had instructed people before there ever was a law about what they should bring and how they should bring it. And I would, by the way, make the argument, without going back and revisiting it all, that it is not necessarily the substance of Cain's offering that was the problem, but it was the absence of genuine faith that was the problem. People had been instructed He accepted the offering of Abel and he rejected the the offering of Cain. No law of Moses is involved. No dispensation of grace is under consideration. God wields absolute authority. His I will take, his I will not. His is acceptable, his is not. When Noah entered the ark, he took unclean and clean animals. How did he know? There's no law of Moses to tell him. There's no Leviticus 11 to run him through the list of what is acceptable and unacceptable. But there were animals that were clean and animals that were not. God had instructed Noah. And when Noah brought an offering to the Lord in Genesis 8, it was out of the clean animals, not the unclean animals. When we come to the law, we do find increased regulation. We do find increased inspection. But there's nothing new. The law doesn't really make anything new, it simply puts into a written code things that God had already been telling people. These animals are acceptable. These animals are not. This attitude is what I want. This attitude is what I don't want. People gave things before. People gave things during. People gave things of value before. People gave things of value during. Abram gave a tithe when there was no law demanding that he do so. So that you're really kind of pressed, folks, to make the argument that the law simply put into practice what Abram had already been doing. When we come to the time after the law, which begins with the law with the Lord Jesus Christ, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. We live now, Paul tells us, under the reign of grace. And yet, folks, we find Jesus validating, when it comes to money, many of the components that are found in the law. For instance, Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weighty matter, weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now we want to be very clear, folks. Right? We want to be biblical. This is not the most important of the biblical subjects. But it is a biblical subject. And in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus doesn't give us an either-or. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, look, here's what, if you are so good and loving, if you are so nailed on law and judgment and mercy, or on judgment and mercy and faith, you don't need to give. He doesn't say that. Neither does he say, you can give so much that you don't need judgment, mercy, and faith. He says, I want everything. I want it all. You Pharisees have only got part of it I demand all of it It's not an either or Paul under the reign of grace validates the very concept of tithing as did Jesus in Matthew 23:23 23, 23. you shouldn't leave it undone 1 Corinthians 9:13 do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. That's Old Testament. Even so, 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, Paul goes on to explain that he has refused to take that money from the Corinthians. That's the rub of the problem, folks. In what appears to be an absolutely upside-down world, The Corinthians were not frustrated because Paul wanted more money. They were frustrated because he wouldn't take any money. He goes on to explain his purpose in that. So that he will not be encumbered in any relationship with the church that he is planting by finances. But the rule is, they that preach the gospel should live of it. Just like it was done in the Old Testament. So in other words, folks, the point that I'm trying to make is this. From the very beginning of time, human beings have always had, as part of their relationship with God or interaction with God or public worship with God, they always had a portion of that that involved bringing him gifts of material value and whether we are before the law under the law or after the law god has always weighed in with authority on what should and shouldn't happen he talks about the philosophy that behinds it that we are giving to him and again folks this is a god who needs nothing and who really has no mechanism for using our gifts in his world. And in fact, folks, I think we could make the argument that if God genuinely needed our material substance, if he needed it for his own survival, if the only way God truly got his wealth was by gathering up from our substance. And if the only way God could sustain himself was by eating food that we provided him, would he even be worth bothering with? My wife and I still periodically talk about this. In 2008, we went to Israel and Egypt, and we were in one of the massive Egyptian temples and our tour guide was explaining to us how every morning the Egyptian priests would have to go basically to the bedroom door of the deity and knock on the door of the deity to wake the deity up. Time to get up, oh God. Well, what good is a God like that? I mean... <clears throat> Any God that we could manage, folks, is a God not worth meddling with. God talks to the philosophy of giving. We give it to him. He talks to the purpose of giving. Why do we give? If God can't eat it and God can't spend it and God can't save it, why am I doing this? Well, one of the reasons we do it is to support religious work, for lack of a better word. First Corinthians nine thirteen. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar partakers with the altar, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. This is one of the reasons that I encourage, and most pastors encourage. Designated giving to missions. third John 1.6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. The Philippians sent Paul money, so that he could go to other places and preach the gospel without charging those people. Why do we give? Why do we give to God when God can't spend it? We give it to God for religious work purposes. Sometimes we give it to the Lord to support the needy among his people. Romans 15, 26. It hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And in fact, folks, in one of the most staggering statements in the Old Testament, Solomon tells us, He that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord, and he will pay him back. He that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. In the Old Testament, and this is never true in the New Testament, there's no record of it that I'm aware of, but in the Old Testament, You gave to God for religious building projects, for the maintenance and sustenance of the temple. God took an offering from the Israelites to build the tabernacle, the tent made of animal skins. And then when Solomon built the permanent temple, there were periodic offerings taken to help repair the temple. In part, folks, because the people were not fulfilling their responsibility in other financial areas. God had told them what to do and they were not doing it. Second Kings 12.4, Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passeth the account, the money that every man is set at, and all the money that cometh into any man's heart to bring to the house of the Lord, Let the priest take it to them, every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, wheresoever any breach shall be found. So God tells us to give, and he tells us how to give, and he tells us why to give, and he tells us what to do with the money when we give. He tells us that some offerings were entirely voluntary in nature. There is no compulsion at all. When it came to the tabernacle in Exodus 25, speak the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Every man that giveth it willingly with his heart shall you take the offering. And then he goes on. Now, if you're going to give willingly, here's what I want, right? Don't bring me your old furniture. Don't bring me your old clothes. Here's what I want. But if you, but give it willingly. If you don't want to give it, keep it. So that they can make God a sanctuary. Some offerings were mandatory, like the tithe. Which, let's be realistic, folks. Isn't it the fact that we treat it as mandatory one of the most distasteful elements about it? That I have to do it. I just can't believe that God would tell me I have to do something. Particularly in the age of grace. But folks, in the age of grace, God tells you all kinds of things you have to do. How's this? You have to go to church. You have to go to church. That's what the Lord said. What's the age of grace? I can do what I want. No, you have to go to church. And you can't cheat on your spouse. And you can't disobey the government. And you can't rob your neighbor. And you can't hate people in your heart. And you can't be envious. And you can't be bitter. And you can't be critical. Those are all things that God tells you you have to do and can't do. And here we are living under the glorious reign of grace, Romans chapter 5. And our lives are still filled with things that God says are acceptable and unacceptable. Folks, he never stops being God. He never stops telling us what to do. So, from the beginning of human history, there's been some aspect of our orientation to God that gives him something of substance and whatever time frame people have lived, God has always wielded the authority over it. Finally, thirdly, all of this that we are related, that we relate to God in some way, right? Nobody buys themselves into heaven, nobody misers themselves out of their salvation. But some portion of human interaction with God is giving something that is valuable to the human, to God. And God speaks authoritatively as to whether or not he wants it and what should be done with it. And all of this is overshadowed, folks. All of it is overshadowed by God's unsurpassed generosity. This is very clearly seen in the law. If you would like to talk about the law and the way that it regulated behavior, I would point out to you that there's a sense in which the law not only bound the Jew, the law obligated God. And with this, folks, we really begin to get at what the heart of the matter really is. Because we understand that if there is $100 on my desk and I give God $10, I don't have $100, I have 90 Or if I give God $20, I don't have $100, I have 80 And God, whether it be before the law or under the law, or after the law, has always taken the same posture. I know that's how it looks, but you do not need to fear that. You will not be deficient, I promise. Much of the entire Old Testament narrative, much of the law, and I don't begin reading it right now, but I would direct your attention specifically to Deuteronomy 27 and 28 in which God promises abundant, multiplied prosperity to the Israelites for obedience to him. Or just read the book of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with thy substance. So shall thy barns overflow, and thy presses burst forth with new wine. God always, right? One way to think of it is that God presents himself as the great greedy miser who just wants to put his divine hand in my human pocket. But the biblical perspective is that God is very generous, more generous than human beings could ever be. In Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In Mark chapter 10 and verse number 28, after a conversation with the rich young ruler in which Jesus said, Oh, would you like to enter heaven? Sell everything. By the way, not an uncommon technique that Jesus took with people when it came to the subject of salvation. It will cost you everything you have. Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife, children or lands for my sake and the gospel's but he shall receive an hundredfold now, in this time houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, land, with persecutions, and the world to come, eternal life. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 9.6, This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly. Or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye all, always having sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Over and over and over again, folks, God points out his generosity to us. Now you know, as I do, that some of these verses have been horribly abused by multimillionaires preying upon the backs of God's people. But nevertheless, Jesus is not lying when he makes these kinds of promises. That it really is not a zero-sum game. that in this life there will be more than enough and in the life to come, well, who knows how that multiplication will work. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul magnifies the generosity of God in talking to the Corinthians about their gift, pointing out to them that God is the one who gives the seed to the farmer, Is able to make abundance out of everything. Which really points us to this, folks, that more than anything else, right? What is going on? Why would God want something that is valuable to me but has no use to him? That he cannot eat, that he cannot spend, that he cannot save. And it is just one dimension of our faith. Do we believe him or not? Will we do what he says or will we not? Just the age-old question, folks. Is God believable and will we believe him? Is he believable and will we believe him? Do we have faith in his reality that he is the God who is able to respond to the activity of his people like he promised. Faith in his supremacy. Genesis 14, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Thousands of years later, the pastor in Hebrews said, now think about how great that man was that Abraham gave him a tenth. this is an opportunity to proclaim that our god is great to us here is my gift faith in his ability to provide as he has promised he told the jews remember you you can you're only going to be wealthy because i've given you the ability to be hands that can work and brains that can think and opportunities These are all parts of his generosity. So folks, again, I would urge you not for the sake of the church coffers. Because if you're looking at the church coffers, those of you that are here all the time, you know the church coffers are full. But for your own sake, for the testimony of your own faith, for your own relationship with God. Make it a practice to give. And when you do, right? Because, as you know, we don't pass the plate. And there are options today that have not existed in the past for almost every church, online giving, through your bank Whatever mechanism you use, right? Give it carefully and thoughtfully. Recognize that you are worshiping the Lord in the giving. You are recognizing his promise and his superiority. You are trusting in his provision. Make it a conscious, deliberate thing. Let's pray. Father. As you teach us every other thing of Christian life. As you teach us to pray. As you teach us to love. So, Father, teach us to give. Because you are great and you are worthy of our gifts. I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.